Oh, turn it up. Got your icon pass, powder slash it. 50 plus destinations. Speaking of, did you get your icon pass yet, Sean? I'm on iconpass.com dropping in right now. Wow. From just $2.59 adult? Okay. Done. Would you all please pray with me? Lord, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. That as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. This week, I stared at blank pages in my moleskin notebook for the better part of a day. I sat down to write, praying, God, give me something good to say. When nothing came, I got up from my desk and I found something else to do. Later, I came back, I sat down, I opened my moleskin notebook, I grabbed my favorite pen, thinking something, anything would come from God. Something. Because I can't get up here in the morning, on a Sunday morning, and say, I got nothing. It just doesn't work. One of the reasons I think I stared at the blank pages of paper for so long this week is because I used to love the saying, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. As someone who until a year ago next week preached only one time a year, that saying, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words, was a way for me to deal with the lack of space in the pulpit for me. The saying, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words, also lended itself for my passion for missions. Why would I use words when I could just use my hands and feet? After all, rebuilding a home or digging an irrigation trench in the highlands of Guatemala seems much easier than reading Karl Barth's Church Dogmatics or sitting through systematic theology with Kendall Solon. During the advent of 2012, Allison and I, along with a mission trip, along with a mission team from the church that I served as youth director, headed to the highlands of Guatemala. There we literally did not use words to preach the gospel because it would have needed to be translated at least twice in order for the Mayans who we were serving to understand what we were saying to one another. So if you think that this sermon is bad the first time through, imagine having to sit through it two or three times again as it was being translated. While we were in the highlands, we worked as day laborers while the money that our church raised went to employ local masons and plumbers. Day after day, we would work, and then at the end of the day, we would head back to the host homes of the families who were housing us, and we would share a meal together. Later in the evening, we would do a Bible study together, and then we would share communion with one another. Anyone who has been on any type of mission trip can tell you that when you preach the gospel and you do not use words, there is an unbelievable spiritual high that you experience. In the highlands of Guatemala in December of 2012, that mission trip high was even stronger because every single night that we shared communion with one another, we got to hear the Lord's Prayer prayed in at least three different languages at the same time. 
It was like we had our own little Pentecost experience night after night on a cold hillside in one of those places that teachers tell our kids no longer exists. But, but, over the past few years, especially in the last 51 weeks, I have become convinced that we, and when I say we, I mean all of us, need to rethink this Christian cliché. Not because mission work is bad or invaluable or that we shouldn't do it, but because on the surface it sounds great to say preach the gospel and when necessary use words, but once we dig down deeper into this popular cliche, it becomes very problematic. At its most basic level, preach the gospel and when necessary use words means that we as Christians talk too much about the gospel instead of living it out. But because of my lack of conversation with some of you about the gospel, and the kryptonite-like powers that my Bible seems to have when I place it on a table at Starbucks, I know this isn't the problem. Paul's letter to the church in Rome is the most influential book of the Christian Bible for the ways that Paul's words have influenced Christian doctrine, and theology for the past 2,000 years. Throughout his letter to the Romans, Paul is engaged with the Hebrew scriptures. These are the scriptures that we call the Old Testament. Some people call it the First Testament. It was just the testament for the people that Paul was writing to. He was making the case that the resurrected and ascended Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, the one sent by God, and that now Jews and Gentiles both, both were invited into the new life made possible by the grace of God. This was an easier sell, though, to the Gentiles who had been previously kept outside the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant that was originally made with Israel, which is why Paul opens chapter 10 of Romans, making his case directly to the Jews in Rome by referencing Leviticus 18, explaining that keeping God's statutes and ordinances was once the starting point for righteousness. But now, righteousness is found in faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ, open to all people, opens salvation to all people. So then, if faith is not, if faith is the starting point of righteousness and thus salvation, how do we come to faith? What is the mechanism that moves us towards a faithful life? Well, I'm glad you all asked that. I'm happy to tell you. Prior to his conversion encounter with Jesus, Paul had a very, very strong sense of vocation. He was convinced that he was to root out the new Jesus movement from the synagogues, as Christianity had not yet separated from Judaism. Paul was one of the earliest persecutors of first century Christians, and he was really, really good at what he did, and he was entirely convinced that God had called him to that task. So after he met the risen and ascended Christ face to face, a new vocation was given to Paul, and he took on that new vocation with the same level of intensity. 
this vocation is best seen in the section of his letter to the Romans that we read this morning. Proclamation of salvation for all through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the vocation that people like me and Pastor Jeff are called to, but also all of us that claim the Christian faith. From the novice convert to those who have never missed a daily Bible study or have never missed a Sunday morning worship. All of us are called to proclaim that through his death and resurrection, Jesus opened the doors of salvation to all people. And that this was evident through his ministry to people that had been marginalized by the religious leaders of his time. The saying, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words, is often attributed to St. Francis. Francis was a Catholic friar who formed an order. He got permission from the Pope. He wasn't even an ordained priest. And this order was going to follow the teachings of Jesus and walk in the footsteps of Christ, all while living simply. The order still exists today in the Catholic Church. They're known as Franciscans. They also wear these really cool robes that are gray. And they really make the albs that we wear upstairs look totally lame. But that's the sidebar. It's really easy to see how the saying, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words, would be attributed to Francis because of the simple life that he lived and the way that he reached out to the Muslims in the area where he was ministering. But the problem is that none of his biographers ever quote him as saying this cliché. Beyond Francis never saying preach the gospel and when necessary use words, the statement itself is pretty contradicting. To preach something, according to Merriam-Webster, means to deliver something publicly, to advocate earnestly, and to do so in sermon. So, by definition, preach the gospel and when necessary use words, it doesn't make much sense. Preach the gospel and, when necessary, use words, highlights a theological debate that has been going on among Christians for centuries. Faith and works. While on one hand we have Paul telling us that we are justified in our faith in Jesus Christ, we find in the letter of James that faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. This debate has led Christians to compare and count the works that they do, judging their faithfulness to the faithfulness of others, and using a checklist that we think that somebody else should be doing. The problem is that preach the gospel and when necessary use words along with faith by itself if it has no works is dead. Those two statements are concerned with social holiness. And social holiness, while being a byproduct of faith in Jesus Christ, is on its own not the gospel. The gospel is not a habit or practice. It is not a list of mission trip must-dos or daily prayer journal habits. But instead, the gospel is a history. Proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the declaration that something happened on a tree, on a hill, 2,000 years ago. 
And then three days after that something happened, something even greater happened. The gospel of Jesus Christ is just that, the gospel of Jesus. It is not something that we can do because Jesus himself has already done it. As we heard in our reading from the book of Isaiah, God's word provides life. The Bible itself, the word of God provides life and accomplishes that which God wants it to. That is exactly what happened on the tomb and in the or on the cross and in the empty tomb. But it's also what happens every single time you proclaim that the love poured out on the cross and the power that was on display in the empty tomb is for all people without exception. Any starting point other than the gospel in Christian proclamation leads us to what we call proof texting, making the Holy Scriptures fit an agenda that we are trying to push, which in turn makes the proclamation more about us and less about Jesus. Every single day, people get in front of cameras. They send tweets out to the world and declare that because the Bible says this, that is now justified. To be clear, Romans 13 is not the starting point of Christian proclamation. And because some feel the need to misuse this text publicly, the rest of us are left with little choice but to preach that because of the saving grace of God, salvation is available to all people. Because if we do not do that, those who have not yet heard the good news of the gospel will think that Christianity is something that it is not. Proof texting has been and is continuing to be used today to marginalize, enslave, and imprison people in ways that are entirely contradictory to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When this happens, we have little choice but to respond by proclaiming that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ transformed the way that we, as Christians, look at the world and thus changed the way that we are to now engage the world. The saving work that we proclaim has been, was done by Jesus. Words and actions do matter both are necessary, but the former must lead to the latter. While faith without works might be dead, works without the gospel? Works without the gospel only point others to the self-righteousness that we want to put on display. Proclamation of the gospel is not about us. It does not start with us and it does not end with us. So when we are stuck staring at a blank page in a notebook and it feels as though we do not know what to say, the good news is that the work has been done by Jesus. Now we get to share it with the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.